that cold beer up in your hands and just chill them out. Oh. I was so glad Caroline had all the gauze. I was like oh wrapping gosh, myself right. from herself. But did you notice what I did today? I took a page out of your book. All What'd of my do? bras are like soaked through with sweat <laughs> from working so much. So I was like, I'm just going to put on a sports bra and a tank top. I never wear a sports bra <laughs> really? and a tank top. Oh, I do that all the time. I know you do. I was like, <laughs> I look like Katie, I think. <laughs> it's so funny because that sp- sports bra you have on looks exactly like one of mine. I. It's why I thought I, I looked yeah. in the mirror and I was like, yep. oh. <laughs> I see. I see now why she does this. It's a good look. It feels nice. (laughs) Oh, man. But we're not here to talk about clothing. No, we're here to talk about herstory. On the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. And we are here today to talk about famous women in history. And we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. Absolutely. And you did not fictional women the last two weeks. I did. How did it feel oh to research gosh. somebody real this week? So nice, but there was also like <laughs> nothing, nothing on her. It was like there's like a good bit, but like it's basically like two ancient Roman like historians talking mm-hmm. about her. So she's kind of also part fiction because people still argue as to whether or not she literally even existed. So next week maybe will be your so week. So maybe next week will be my <laughs> week. But I really enjoyed researching her because I feel like we don't get to go back to the Iron Age very often. Mm-mm. So it was really cool and I get to get into some archaeology and Ugh. stuff. So I'm super soaked about it. That is great. But we're drinking yeah. the oh, whole time. Yes. Yeah. So maybe I'll forget to even talk about archaeology because I'll be drunk. That's true. Because the way it's going to work is I'm going to make a cocktail in honor of the person I'm doing and then we're going to talk about her and then Allie's going to make me a cocktail and then we're going to talk about her person and then by the end we're going to talk about them together and probably slurring our words it'll be great it'll be so much fun and the good thing is that we got all this information from the good old internet just like everyone else Twitter yep Twitter I get a lot of shit from Twitter. I type in a hashtag. tweeting from the grave. <laughs> Not she's tweeting, but people tweet yeah. about her. No, they do. Um, but yeah, we're just, you know, regular old internet sleuths. So if there's anything you want to fact check us on, please go ahead because we put all this together in a week. So yeah. thank you for our reviews this week. <gasps> so kind. Two, such nice reviews. And it listen, so happy. whoever has the birthday, November 23rd, 1986, that you alluded to, please tell me your mother's maiden name so we can maybe switch identities. Mm. Wouldn't that be fun? Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> what if you guys also look exactly the same in your long-lost twins? Oh, my God. That That's would be it. That's it. It's it. We're Mary-Kate Nashley. <laughs> <laughs> and it takes two. Um. <laughs> Baby. Uh, yeah. So we really do have a podcast to get to. Yes, and we do. I mean, you are unavailable to Google right now. No, you're looking for your long lost twin. Right. <laughs> and you're doing it in the mountains. So you pre-downloaded this episode. Mm-hmm. So you cannot mm-hmm. possibly Google while you go through Appalachia. Absolutely not. Because there's no, there's no Wi-Fi. service. <laughs> and you don't want to waste your precious bars on right. this. So we're Especially gonna, if a grizzly comes. Exactly. So we're going to describe what these women look like so you have a picture in your mind while we're regaling you with their stories. So we're going to get a little physical, physical. That was sharp. We were definitely sharp. <laughs> Maybe a little flat too, but it was definitely sharp. Um, I, doing and what did she look like <laughs> i am doing dr mary edwards walker Ooh. this evening and she had really dark like black hair that was like 
parted in the middle and plastered like <laughs> to her skull at least back to her the crown of her head and then like the bottom half of her hair was like done in curls or braids or like tucked up under like a you know like almost like a lunch lady's like yes. tucked up underneath mm-hmm. um and she dressed in very like obscure clothing that was original to her okay so she was experimenting with how to maintain comfort and mobility while being a woman okay so she like cut all her skirts and petticoats to like t-length but then wore pants underneath of them Uh so to not reveal her legs and then would wear like a tailored suit jacket over top with like buttons and a collar and like lace and stuff um in her older years she would wear a top hat which got a lot of criticism (laughs) but she was down for a top hat uh and she also had like in terms of her face kind of a pointy nose and super small eyes like Mm -hmm. i feel like they don't fit her face quite um and it was very round and um she always looked very serious Uh, there's no pictures of her smiling not even one (laughs) so uh what does your person look like okay so i am doing boudica sometimes known as queen boudica um so this is a quote from one of the historians who wrote about her in stature she was very tall in appearance most terrifying in the glance of her eye most fierce and her voice was harsh a great mass of the tawniest hair fell to her hips Around her neck was a large gold necklace, and she wore a tunic of divers' colors over which a thick mantle was fastened with a brooch. So basically, she looked like Merida from Brave. Interesting. Tawny yes. hair. Tawny hair. I feel like tawny is what you use to describe like a cat, right? I thought of it as like, like kind of like reddish hair. Okay. I don't know if tawny means red or tawny means it might curly. Mean, it, it probably does Let's mean Google red this. because like when you say tawny, like you'll say that, like I feel like people say like that type of cat is tawny. So maybe it's like yeah. a breed that they're coloring kind of like calico. Maybe. Or maybe it's like un, like unwieldy. You know what I'm mm, saying? Interesting. Somebody like Maybe Google it's it. like wild hair. I'm going to Google it right now just so we can like clear tawny, this up. Tawny. Yeah, we don't um, need your tweets yes. about what tawny means. Um, <laughs> an orange, brown, or yellowish color. <gasps> Good. So she had like just like bright like orangish reddish brown hair. Everybody take a moment and use the word tawny this week to describe something and then it's tweet us your about it. Herstory vocab word of the week. <laughs> um but yeah, tawny hair. So I just picture her like Merida. Okay. Because perfect. she is Celtic. So Right. Yeah. So that's what she looked like. Um <laughs> What am I drinking though? So this is called Druid's Brew. And I wanted it to feel very, like, witchy and old world. Um, So I made a blackberry herb spice syrup, simple syrup. It was just bubbling away all day in my kitchen. So hopefully it turned out good. You are a queen. Um, (laughs) I was going to use different flavors, and they didn't didn't have any fresh ginger in the grocery store. And I was Mm. really upset. So um, then I mixed that with um, whiskey and elderflower liqueur. And then you garnish it with rosemary. Love it. So cheers. cheers. Oh, it's so good. Mm, Yeah. I love it. Um, Mmm. You kind of get like a little bit of like the spices on like the back. Yeah, absolutely. And I I do want everyone to know that when Katie makes cocktails, she literally brings her herb plants to my house (laughs) uh, because nothing is good enough for her unless it's picked off of an herb tree. (laughs) 
<laughs> that she has planted within her own kitchen. Actually, this rosemary was a gift from Aunt Taryn Uncle Bree. Oh, a housewarming gift. So, but it was from my garden. Um, but <laughs> my herbs, my herbs. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like it. It's I like it a lot, and I feel like you can get. You can still taste the whiskey, but mm-hmm. everything else in it takes away that bite that it has. Oh, yeah. So you still get the essence of whiskey, but not like it's not overwhelming. Yeah. Producer's been trying to like whiskey just like by itself. And I taste it and it just tastes like the way that like um, laundry that sat too long before you dried it smells. Yeah. That's how it tastes. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't get down on it. Uh, I can get down with like a nice cold glass of like bourbon or whiskey every bourbon's once in a while. Fine. Yeah, I'm. I can drink bourbon. Yeah. I can't drink like whiskey well, bourbon. It's funny because I can't drink Jameson anymore because there was one fateful, fateful St. Patrick's Day where I tried to keep up with Casey, fiance, and Casey can drink so much. It's absurd. It really is. Um and. <laughs> Side note, are we going to change his name to husband when you guys know. get married? I think no. we could. No. I think fiance, fiance is fine. Okay, we'll stick with that. Um, just for the rest of our lives. Because, mm-hmm. you know, who knows if this wedding will ever actually happen because <laughs> of this virus. Um, but I tried to keep up with him. So I kept being like, every time he took a Jameson shot, I'd be like, me too. And then I got horribly ill and really drunk. And I screamed at him when we got back to his apartment to make me a grilled cheese. And then I threw it at him. <laughs> <laughs> You're, if that is not the most Katie is too drunk story, yeah. I mean, come on. It's my favorite thing about it's you. It's ridiculous. It's not, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you know about Boudicca? Okay, so when um, producer's coworker found out that we were doing this podcast, he was born and raised in England, and he said, you should tell them they should do Boudicca. Mm-hmm. Now, he's not the type of person who would ever listen to this podcast. Because he's, he's very, very right wing. Yes. And if you're right wing and you listen to this podcast, we appreciate you. We love you. But this person is not the type of no. person who would listen to this podcast. But his wife might. So, hi. But, okay. So, I know he, she is like uh, maybe ran like a military organization or like led some people into battle and that she's from like the UK region. Okay. That's all I know. I know there's a statue of her where she has a hand up in the air Mm -hmm. and like she's holding a staff in her other hand and just has a crown on and she's just being real yelly. Yes. "Ah!" But that's it. That's I've seen that statue. Mm hmm. Well, that's her. I don't know anything about her. Good. Was it one of those where you get on Wikipedia and there's one paragraph and you're like, fuck (laughs) (laughs) there was like a good bit and thankfully like it's one of those things where her story came from the first-hand accounts of like two guys basically um and but their accounts differed so sometimes the way people tell her story is different um and also the celts didn't have a written down history Mm. so that also is why it's lacking and so we only get a perspective from the enemy side so So it's very much like the Native Americans. Exactly. (laughs) So just keep that in mind. Also keep in mind the story does get very gruesome at some points. Um, So this is just a warning. Um, If you can't handle blood and gore, just don't listen to this part. (laughs) Uh, The story is not very long, so um, I don't know exactly when it's going to come up. But anyways, good luck. uh, Good luck to you and you all. Um, so as far as any kind of birth date goes, we have no idea, but we know that she was born into the Celtic, um, Iseni tribe or, or Iceni, Iceni tribe located in 
current-day Eastern Britain near Norfolk and Suffolk. So we also don't know if Boudicca was her real name. She's been called many things over the years, including Badica, um, Boudicca, and Budug. But the root of her name means victorious. Oh. So that's why we call her this. In order to tell you her story, you need to have some background on the Celtic people, though, because that's who she'll be fighting for. So um, I don't know anything about the Celtic people besides like they had a cross and that's like where Halloween started. Yeah. So they're very mysterious and okay. it was really fun getting to kind of learn a little bit more about them because Celtic basically refers to the broad spectrum of tribal beliefs that existed across the UK and Central Europe in the Iron Age. And each tribe had their own language and traditions, but they were all fairly similar. So it's kind of like how we call them Native Americans, even though they are all have different shit going on and they don't get along with each other again. Like, so you can't just put two different Celtic tribes together and expect them to get along just like how you can't wrangle the different Native American tribes and be like, okay, now you have to exist in this small plot of land together. Right. So it's like you're Cherokee, you're Sioux, exactly. but you're both Native American. Yep. So and Celtic were... is an umbrella term. Yep. So okay. we, um, the Iceni were a tribe, but they were a Celtic tribe. Okay. Got it. So, um, and most people, I think, associate them with Ireland. I feel like whenever I hear oh, yeah. Celtic or Druid, I think of Ireland, Scotland, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but they actually, most historians believe that they... The Celtics, the Celts started in Austria and really? moved their way over, which was very surprising to me. I had no idea about that. When yeah. I first learned about the Celts, it was from, I think, some sort of Darkwing Duck episode. <laughs> See, I always think of them from the, um, oh my gosh, what is it? Huey, Dewey, and Louie. DuckTales. DuckTales. That must be what I'm talking about. I think that's what you're talking about. they sneak into the yes, Stonehenge. The <laughs> it is. I, that episode was stuck in my mind and I was like I have to find it on like it's on Disney Plus yeah, you can is. find that I'm episode sure on Disney Plus, on Disney Plus. Okay, um, and I it. found it and it was great uh, highly recommend watching it <laughs> that what we recommend that you watch that one, one episode, episode. Of <laughs> <laughs> um, but <laughs> the thing about Celts is that there's no written record of them so everything we know comes from people invading their land or oral stories passed down, which is why they have remained such a mystery. But we know that they were fierce fighters who typically fought nearly naked with paint all over them, which made them look absolutely insane to the Romans who were invading. (laughs) But they were also credited with some really impressive things, such as making early iron weapons and chain mail. And these really like insane, incredible war innovations and fun fact, they also invented roads, which the Romans... Would, I thought the Romans invented roads. They claim to because they end up winning the battle. Oh, I see. So they would, like, take credit for building roads, but we actually have earlier roads found there. So, just wanted to clear up that. Um, <laughs> good. Good and for honestly, you. maybe it's not even true. Who knows? But you read um, it on the internet. Oh, because I got most of this run um, Biographics YouTube channel and History Civilis YouTube channel. So it was a two different videos. And then I did like Wikipedia and stuff and, mm-hmm. um, and all that. So uh, to add to their badass warrior reputation, they would blow ram's horns and grunt like animals at the enemy, which gives them this reputation of being like over like savages. But... The thing was, too, again, we only have 
the record the records of the enemy so were they just saying this to kind of paint them in a bad light because we know that they had invented a lot of really cool shit that like wasn't anywhere else and we also know that they were a very wealthy society they had a ton of gold interesting yeah very interesting um and another thing that the celts are known for is gender equality what yeah now don't get me wrong it was still a patriarchal society but women could be leaders of tribes they could be high priestesses they could be druids which we'll talk about in a little bit um and there was also a lot of sexual freedom among among the celts so men and women were allowed to have same-sex relationships and it was seen as like totally normal where is my ticket where to come on (laughs) sounds like a paradise So now that we have a little bit of info on the Celts in general, we have a better idea of the culture that Boudicca was fighting so hard to protect. Again, we have no information on her early years, but we know that when the Romans entered the picture and started writing about her, she was married to a man named um, Prasuticus. Prasuticus. (laughs) Sorry, there's a lot of old names. Prasuticus. (laughs) Old ass names. Just make it up. Nobody's going to know except for us. No. And those two guys. And those two guys. So... Together they lead the Iceni tribe, and when Emperor Claudius of Rome started to make his presence known in the British Idol Isles, you know, invading them around AD 43 or 43 AD, um, Prasutagus initially tried to fight back, but their army was too great. So he was like, I'm never going to beat them, so I'm just going to form an allyship. So... Basically, in exchange for the Romans leaving them alone for the most part, he's like, we'll cooperate. Just give us our independence. And they said, "Okay, fine, but you need to trade with us. And they said, "Okay, fine. And they're like, but we need you to trade in Roman coin. So but the Celts didn't need their money. They were already independently rich and wealthy. So. They were like, fine, you want us to use these little coins? Like, all right, whatever. Like, who gives a shit? So the Romans basically lent them $60 million with a really high interest rate. To, like, trade back to them? Yes. But they're kind of lying because they're going to make them pay extra? Yeah. In interest? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So... (laughs) That sounds right. The way that you treat people that are different from you to make them sign contracts they don't understand. Wonderful. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So. The. (laughs) So a few years later, though, Emperor Claudius is replaced by Emperor Nero. Ooh. Nero, of of course, is known for being like a brutal, like, you know, ruler. He likes very nice, expensive things. And in order to fund all these tirades and all these nice, expensive things, he's like, we have to cash in on the interest on this $60 million loan, like, immediately, because I need money now. So he appoints this guy, General Paulinus, to be the governor of Britain. And he's in charge of overseeing all the British Celts. Then, in 60 AD, poor Prasutagus passes away, leaving Boudicca to reign over the Iceni tribe in his place. But in order to provide, you know, safety for his people, he left behind a lot of documentation to kind of protect them. So he left behind all the documents that they had signed between him and the Romans that were like, this is the deal. We trade with you. You leave us independent. We can still do our Celtic shit. And you're not going to tell us who to worship. And like, you can't take our land. Right. And but his will also, in an interesting way, 
it left his land of the Iceni tribe to his two daughters, but he also included the emperor of Rome. In the will? In the will. Ugh. So, because he really did believe that the peaceful negotiation would still stand. But since there's a new emperor in town, and Paulinus is the new governor, and there are just a lot of new people on the scene who, like, don't give a shit about all this, and they see that a woman is left in charge, and they come up from a society where that is not okay. Right. So they didn't think that she was a legitimate ruler. So Paulinus ignored all the rules and all the paperwork and decided to just take that land for Rome by force using the unpaid loan as an excuse. They're like, we didn't even want your fucking coins in the first place. And now you're taking our land like so ridiculous. They then proceeded to enter the homes of the Iceni tribe. They stole everything they could out of their homes. They enslaved the men and they captured and raped the women. And then... To prove their point even further, they captured Boudicca's young daughters and raped them publicly. Like in front of people. Yeah. That's horrendous. And Boudicca is watching this and she charges at them and she's trying to like save her daughters from this horrible fate. And they capture her and they tie her up and they beat her publicly. They strip her of all her clothes and they just are trying their hardest to make a fool of her and like to make their point. It's it's so that's so horrible. And then her daughters, after being raped and tortured, are like seeing their mother, their strong tawny haired mother (laughs) like being beaten and naked in front of their whole town and it's like what the fuck is going on and i just i know one of the most incredible pictures i've seen during this like trying time recently um is there's that there's like a white woman in a protest with a sign and they're like if people killed my son for and it gave a list of things like holding skittles a Mm -hmm. fake gun for going to the store for wearing a hoodie you better believe I'd be fucking burning down a town too. Yeah. Like it's just like, she saw this happening to her children and it's just like, no fuck you and goes after them. And that's like a mother's role. Absolutely. Because I can't imagine like, again, how it must feel to be like the, the class that is the recipient of this brutal takeover. I can't, I can't imagine. And I feel like that's how so many like black mothers feel right now of like, I fear for my child's life every day. And just the fact that like one of the last things, you know, that George Floyd said was calling out for his mom. Yeah. It was like, you know, and you know, black women have dealt with that for, you know, hundreds of years just in the United States. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just like, my God, like how can you put a mother through that? That's terrible, terrible. And also like, Frankly, like even if they survive childbirth, because we know that the mortality rates for like women of color, specifically black women, it's like 30 in childbirth. Higher. It's ridiculous. And it's like we've done a whole episode on it. So if you want more episodes, like more information, you can even just go listen to our um, Venus and Serena Williams episode because yeah. we talked about the first this. time we brought it up. Yeah, because it's absolutely outrageous that they die at a higher rate literally because doctors do not listen to them. Right. 
And I just, I'm, I'm relating that to this just because this indigenous woman is like, yeah, I am supposed to be in charge. These are my children who I'm yeah. taking care of. And you are just busting in here and taking my children. Like Absolutely. how dare you? That's the thing. This kind of, sh- and this kind of shit has been happening Centuries. for so long. Thousands of years. There's always like a lesser than group of people. Yeah. That get the shit under the stick and it's quote unquote legal. So to the Romans, it was all legal for them to do this because they didn't pay back their loan. And that's why police fucking laws need to change because there's no good way for people to get justice right now. Poverty's not an excuse to kill people. No. It's, ugh, God, it's just ridiculous. So, I mean, we just went on a rant. That got but real. That it got, got real. It got really, really <laughs> real. But it's important to to talk and relate because... People are still going through the same shit. So just because the fucking kettle looks different doesn't mean that like it's different from the pot anymore. You know what I'm saying? Or whatever the goddamn saying is. But like, yeah, this kind of shit is happening forever. I didn't expect this story to connect so nicely to the current times. Yeah. So, um, but instead of getting down, she got up and she got really fucking angry Boudica arranged for the other leaders of the other local tribes to meet up and she planned an uprising with them she's like we have to fucking do something we have to do something because the other tribes were experiencing the exact same thing they were like yeah we thought shit was cool and then bam they're snatching our fucking people up so they put aside their own tribal differences and elected Boudicca the queen and leader of the whole rebellion for all of the Celts across Britain. so fucking cool. All these male leaders elected her. So they kept a low profile for a bit and they secretly planned their uprising for months. So they didn't plant any crops, which was not normal for them because normally they'd have to eat the next year. Right. They literally just spent their time making weapons and shit and planning. Meanwhile, the Romans are off pillaging the other areas of Britain. And there's one story I'm going to tell just because it shows how insane these kinds of battles were. And it's also, this is kind of why she was able to plan so much because they were off in this specific battle. So the Romans had gone up to take the northern island of Mona, which is now Anglesey which was like a religious epicenter for for Britain. It was where many Druids were based, and that's mainly who occupied the island. And I feel like we tend to think of the Druids as like their own race of people. I know like I did. Um, But they were really like the monks of the Celtics. Okay, I just picture cloaks. Exactly. Um, They are best remembered as religious leaders. They were also legal authorities, educators, adjudicators you can tell that i copy and pasted that word from wikipedia um adjudicators (laughs) they were lore keepers medical professionals and political advisors but unlike monks women could also be the druids also the druids so they were kind of like the upper class of the celts so it's just kind of like a whole different thing um, but all within the same people. Right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. at the same ethnicity. Yes. Like ish. But like yeah. they're more like the religious um like upper tier of society. Yes, exactly. Okay. So or they're kind of like the the Brahmin caste. Got it. 
I feel like that's like a better way. Like they have access to like the higher forms of power and education and education. Exactly. Um, So when the Romans attacked the Isle of Mona, these Druids had something planned as the ships approached the shore and the soldiers began to wade into the water to approach them. They just saw a bunch of men dressed in black clothing and raising their hands and chanting. And they're completely distracted because it looks creepy as fuck. And yes. <laughs> so they're like, what is going on? And then a group of women all dressed in black races towards them out of nowhere with torches. And they all come running into the water and they're chanting and they're tearing torches. And it was literally so scary that the Roman soldiers were completely stunned and horrified until the general started screaming at them to fight back. So they charged and like fairly easily cut down the Druids because they weren't really trying to fight back or run away. They just kind of stood and kept chanting and like holding their hands up. And then when the last Druid fell, a woman raced out of nowhere with a torch and threw it by the pile of the dead. And the entire thing erupted into flames. The Romans then realized that the Druids had basically sacrificed themselves and their battle had been won on a giant funeral pyre. Holy hell. <laughs> they were like ready to, they were martyrs. Yeah, they were martyrs. They were dying so that they could they burn knew, the Roman army down. They knew that they couldn't fight against the Roman army. So they just like, all stood on this giant funeral pyre and let themselves be slaughtered. And then that one woman came out and the whole thing went up and the Romans stood back and they were like, oh my God, we just participated in some sort of sacrifice and some like sort of crazy, like heinous ritual. And the Romans were very superstitious. Oh yeah. And because they believed that other cultures' gods existed just as much as theirs did. Oh. Very interesting. So they took the Druid Celtic gods just as seriously. Oh, I did not know that. That's cool. So when this happened, it totally freaked them out because they're like, fuck, we did something and we're a part of this. And now their gods are going to be angry at us because now we're involved in some sort of shit and we don't even know what it is. Yeah, y'all just killed every religious person in this whole community. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. So, and like, and also, because again, they're very superstitious. So they're like, what kind of like spell did they cast on us? Because they knew that was going to happen. So they prepared. Yeah. So the Romans are super freaked out. And then we have a lot of stories around this time from like, And then after the Battle of the Isle of Mona, the rivers turned blood and bodies floated up to all the shores of Britain and like, you know, all this shit going on. It's not real if it wasn't in the Bible, Katie. Mm, True. (laughs) So, um, but again, who knows if they're really connected? And also who knows if the rivers actually turned red? Um, But this makes the environment perfect for Boudicca to start her rebellion. So the Romans were already freaked out because while she's preparing over here in the east part, they're in the north doing all this stuff with the Isle of Mona. So they are expecting terrible things to happen. And she sets her eyes on Camelodonum. And she got in her chariot with her war paint covering her face and she marched on Camelodonium 
with 120,000 men and women beside her. That's a shit ton of people. That's a lot of people. 120,000. I wasn't picturing that. I was picturing no. like 20,000. Nope. Okay. All filled with an incredible vengeance. And they elected a woman to lead them? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. So they entered Camelodunum and slaughtered all the Roman men they could find. Two messengers were sent to tell of the barbarian queen's conquest, but when the general heard it was a woman leading the troops, he was like, oh, that's not that big of a deal. So he sent 200 unarmed slaves to take care of her. Oh, great. Good job. So they sent out 200 unarmed slaves and to 120,000 people. Yes. And of course, they took care of them easily. So the Romans sent 2,500 more men and their main job now is to just like get people out of this city because this is one of the biggest Roman strongholds. So this was like a whole area that they had been occupying. So it was like it was a Roman city in Great Britain. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) when they got there, they're just trying to get people out. But Boudicca's already there. She's already like just destroying this fucking town. So these guys come in and they're like, all right, we're just going to put everyone in this temple. Everybody get in this temple. We're going to barricade ourselves in. And they... Boudicca's army just surrounded the temple and waited for a couple days. And then they were like, we're getting really fucking sick of this. So they set the temple on fire, killing everyone inside. Oh, no. That's like in The Patriot. Is mm-hmm. that a scene in The Patriot? I have never seen that movie. Oh, don't. You would hate it. <laughs> would I really? Is it, it just because Mel Gibson's in it? Or? Uh, no, it's because it's so sad. There's mm. so much unnecessary death of women, oh. children, men. It's a very revolutionary war story, but it is around. Okay. So people who have watched it, I am pretty sure there's a scene where there are women and children in like a building uh, and they lock the shutters and doors and light it on fire. I mean, that's exactly what they And did they're here. like shaking to try to get out. Um, yeah. But these were the bad guys. They were burning. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> that's so horrible. And yeah, nobody should have terrible. to burn to death. No, 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 no. Never. But. Um, Unless you're Hitler. You can die however you want. Yeah. Except suicide. I'm mad that you did that. We should have got to kill you. (laughs) (laughs) Your rights are gone. None of that made sense. So, and those who weren't killed in the temple. Now, I said she was killing these men, but she wasn't just killing them. They were hanged, crucified, beheaded, dissected while alive. She's a Khaleesi. Mm Mm-hmm. Boiled alive. (laughs) And... To some women, they would impale them on stakes, cut off their breasts, and sew them to their mouths. Oh, my God. That is... Horrible. So these Roman women who are in this Roman town that was built... Yeah, are now suffering the consequences. ...are also being slaughtered. Okay, so this is civilians being... Yeah, and we know that, like, Roman women didn't really have any power, so it's not like they were also leaders causing for this to happen. Right, right, right. Things are getting pretty brutal. I mean, women are getting their breasts sewn to their mouths. I it's can't. not good. That's a disgusting place to sew a breast. Really terrible. But it's fine. Biceps, maybe. Mm-hmm. Not my mouth. <laughs> but also, we know that the people who wrote the story were the enemies. And we know that people who, you know, are the more dominant, you know, genre, whatever, people get to put their own spin on things that happened. Just like we talked about earlier with the Native Americans and how we grew up thinking that they were the fucking enemy. And then we're like, 
oh my god they were just the peaceful people who we literally just like rampaged right so terrible so who knows if all that actually happened but that's what people wrote down um but she was pretty pissed so probably <laughs> i mean you're gonna fight back you're, you you have to yeah so when the general came back to see one of their strongest settlements destroyed he realized that he had severely underestimated Boudicca. One historian, Cassius Dio, from 155 AD, wrote, All this ruin was brought upon the Romans by a woman, a fact which in itself caused them the greatest shame. So they were not excited that a woman had beaten them this terribly. Like, she humiliated them. She had 120,000 people, and he sent 200. Yeah, he was an idiot. Yeah. So he started the journey back to Camaldonia, sending messengers to every settlement in Britain, trying to gather an army of all the Romans as quickly as possible. Boudicca was just moving right along, though. And she went down to the other like big city they had, Londinian, which, of course, is modern day London. And she proceeds to burn the entire city to the ground. Damn. And she torches the people there just like she did before. And by the time General Paulinus got there, it was just too late. And his numbers were too small still because when he had sent out those messengers, some were like, we didn't tell you to break your fucking promise. We're not coming to help you. Yeah, of course not. Not if they are marching off with a huge army. Absolutely not. Hell no. These other guys are like, you made your bed. You got to fucking lie in it, dude. Especially too, if they've been living there for a long period of time and getting along with the local people. Exactly. It's like, I'm not going to fight back over this. Absolutely not. So, and while you may think her army is growing smaller, the more battles she fights, it's actually growing. And it gets to this point to around 230,000 because while she's going down, she's freeing all the Celts who were enslaved by the Romans when they were pillaging them. So she's going down, she's freeing them. And then when they get out of slavery, they're pretty pissed. So they're like, of course, we're going to join up with you. So she's just getting more and more soldiers. So... Paulinus is leading all of these refugees up north to the last big Roman holdout, the British city of Verulanium, which is modern day St. Albans. But Boudicca is like, I fucking see you. And she starts following him up there. At this point, she has killed and tortured between 70 and 80,000 Roman people. Oh, shit. Taking three of their largest cities. And she was not ready to stop. At this point, Nero is like, I just, I'm getting the word of all this. This isn't happening. This isn't good. And we just have to stop. We're just going to pull everybody out of Great Britain. He's like, full surrender. Full surrender. We have to get everyone out of there. She's too crazy. But Paulinus talks him out of it. He's like, dude, just give me one more fucking chance. I promise you I can defeat her. Don't pull the plug just yet. So Nero says, okay. One more chance. So Paulinus gathers his last 5,000 men. And this was not the best 5,000 men he could get. He just calls back to Rome and he goes, any retired soldier, come and help me. 5,000 to 230,000? Yeah. Yeah. So he then positions his army kind of at the edge and like in between like these like forests. So he's in a field, but he has forest around him. So she can't like flank him from the other sides. And he also made sure this time that the army was well equipped with spears to avoid hand to hand combat. 
He made sure they had tons of shields and full suits of armor with helmets, things that the Celts didn't have. Mm. Meanwhile, Boudicca is giving her troops one last rousing speech, standing atop her famous chariot and just talking about what they're fighting for, which is freedom. And she said, I'm not finding I'm not fighting for my kingdom and wealth now. I am fighting as an ordinary person for my lost freedom, my bruised body and my outraged daughters. So the two armies meet for the final time at the Battle of Watling Street. Even though Boudicca's army far outnumbered the Romans, the strategy and equipment that they used was still superior. It was just too much stuff. Yeah. So they sent their men in, in like these kind of um, pile drives and like flying V formations into their army with like their shields acting as like the pushing point. Ducks fly together. Exactly. And so the shields were able to protect themselves while they were easily able to stab the um, Iceni through the shields, you know, with their spears, because typically the Iceni fought bare chested. Um, Then because they had this insulated system, they could internally send the soldier who was just fighting back a little bit and bring in a fresh new one to the front, literally exactly like how geese fly. Right. Like, they were just replacing them, so they always had fresh people at the front. And the longer this went on, the Celts started to retreat. But they had blocked themselves in with their supply wagon, so they couldn't get out and away from the Romans. In the end, about 80,000 Celts were killed, while only 400 Roman soldiers lost their lives. Boudicca was able to escape, but she died shortly after. Some say that she poisoned herself and others say that she like died because of an illness, but we really don't know. And could she have possibly been injured in battle and then it was an infection? Probably. Okay. Yeah. So we don't know because also the story was kept on the low down on the down low, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> for, both, both things. Both things. Um, for some time. So for Years and years and years, nobody talked about this portion of European history. The Romans were ashamed that they had almost been beaten by an army of barbarians led by a woman. And the British Celts were ashamed because they failed ultimately in the end. And again, they also had no records. So, you know, but yeah, but everybody's pissed about this battle. Everyone was pissed. No one felt good about the outcome. It's not like. You know, Paulinus was like, yeah, we won. He was like, he's like, oh, my God, finally, like I won. But like, it doesn't feel good because, again, like the fact that she was a woman made him feel so inferior that he let it like that's the thing. He did a good job in that battle. He fought and won when the odds were totally against him. Oh, yeah. But literally because he was a woman, he couldn't even enjoy that fucking victory. So fuck him. For many reasons, but um, specifically that one, specifically that one. So but then after many, many years, she had a literal renaissance in the renaissance because when people started to like bring up her story, they're like, oh, my gosh, she's amazing. We must paint her. And portraits of Boudicca started coming out and then her legend kind of grew Ooh. and then it really took off in the Victorian era. <laughs> Of course. Of course. The Victorian era changed everything. It did. And there was something about like how Victoria is actually like kind of named 
in tandem with Boudicca because right. Boudicca means victorious. Mm. So there was something about that. I don't know if Queen Victoria actually knew that, but we know that a lot of the Boudicca statues came from that era of history. Hmm. So they started to like really take her in as part of their cultural and local lore. It's like, let's embrace this story yeah. as part of who we are. Exactly. And they were like, yeah, we're going to honor this brave ass barbarian queen. Um, because she tried to save Britain. Like, she really fucking tried. <laughs> so now, I mean, she's remembered as this fierce warrior folk hero who many British people are really, really proud of. And I love that we have this super strong woman from the Iron Age that can be like this beacon of like, this is how fucking strong we are. It's really cool. It's interesting to me in Great Britain because they have so many female queens yeah. that it's not uncomfortable for them to be like, also, there's this really cool female mm -hmm. war hero that came from here. Exactly. They're used to it. So there was a 2003 movie made about her called Warrior Queen starring a very young Emily Blunt as one of her daughters. What? She's like... 15 it's so weird oh my god and i don't know if she's actually 15 but she looks 15 she looks so little last week i watched devil wears prada with the <sighs> girls and like anne hathaway came in and they were like whatever whatever you know she's the girl from the princess diaries and then emily blunt came in and they were like it's mary poppins <laughs> and i forgot to them that that's mary poppins it's bananas i was like well, that's not my Mary Poppins, I but I understand. Where my Mary Poppins was with Anne Hathaway <laughs> in Princess Diaries. Um, <laughs> but the most exciting recent thing to happen to the Warrior Queen came. Oh, my God. Both Mary Poppins acted with Anne Hathaway. That's yes. what we just discovered. Kevin Bacon. It's like our own. <laughs> it's like our own archaeological dig. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Go, 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 go. So. In the year 2000, a new development of houses would be, was being planned for a rural area in the town of Wetwang, which is nope. a very real name of a town. Nope. <laughs> Wetwang. I want to live there. I, <laughs> send me. I want all the Wetwangs. So, but before. If our Patreons don't. And they're very aware. The town, money. the town is aware that to like their us. name is very silly. <laughs> um, but they like it. Um, so. <laughs> But before construction began on this new thing, they had to conduct an archaeological survey on the site. So it wasn't long before they found a medieval house that was uncovered. But this happened all the time. It wasn't one of the cooler ones. So they were like, mm, it's fine. We're just going to go on with the construction. No. But then a year later, there was a new environmental preservation order and the site had to be modified. So they had to shift it over which meant they had to do a new archaeological dig on a different site. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. They started to dig, and they found an Iron Age grave site with a large chariot on top. No, it isn't. Oh, my God. So they see this red chariot, and it's decorated with red coral. And then they pick it up, and they like are looking around, and there are highly important artifacts all buried kind of around this skeleton. So it had obviously been a very elaborate funeral. And then they find like a pig next to the body. So she had this person, whoever it was, had taken things had to the grave, been sent for a hearty meal to the afterlife. And 
they're looking at this grave. And so basically the way the body is, it's like kind of like in a fetal position. So they'd position the body in a fetal position, surrounded it with like precious artifacts and then put the chariot on top. So this was a traditional burial for a high ranking military person. Oh man. And they initially think it's a male soldier, but at her feet were a mirror, a brooch, and blue glass beads. And we know that she had a fucking brooch because of the description of her. It's Boudicca. It's totally Boudicca. And they did confirm that it was a female skeleton. Um, and Oh, but I want to say one more thing about those um, things. So a lot of historians, like, point to the fact of, like, what she had with her because a mirror, a brooch, and, like, glass beads are very, like, overtly feminine objects. And so it points us towards this really cool fact of even though Boudicca, who I really do believe this is her, was, like, a badass warrior queen, she was still allowed to, like, look at herself and decorate herself with beautiful things and like it enough to be buried with it. And it shows that, like, they were allowed to also have traditionally feminine traits while being super fucking cool and high ranking. Right. You don't have which, to wear like a black business yeah, suit to exactly. like fit in with the boys. Which I think is so cool. Oh, I love it. So they confirmed that it was indeed a female skeleton, a very tall woman in her late 30s, early 40s. And although we can over sure, most people believe that this was where the great warrior queen Boudicca was laid to rest. Some people still don't believe it was her, but either way, the important thing to glean from this is that whoever she was, she was a female warrior who was respected. Right. And it I don't matter give a whether shit. it was Boudicca or not. Exactly. They still had this respect for some sort of high ranking military woman. And I think that's cool enough whether it was Boudicca or not. And that's the story of Boudicca and the uprising of the Celts. So cool. That was <laughs> so cool. I had a lot of fun researching it. It was really interesting. And then when I got to this archaeological, I was like, what the fuck? It was so cool. Thanks, Jake's coworker. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, <laughs> Simone. Um, <laughs> we can beep his name. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So do you ever get to an end of a story that you're listening to me and you're like, I never would have done it that good? No. That, like when I listen to you tell that story, I'm always like, yeah, she fucking did it. I never would have done it that good. <laughs> there are some times when I'm like, yeah, I could have researched that person. This one, I'm like, nah, Katie killed me. <laughs> Thank you. I have had, no, I have had that thought with you. We're like, I feel, I forget who it was, <laughs> but there was like someone you did and there were like all these little details and I was like, I feel like she went to so many different sources. <laughs> like, and like you start to break out from like stress. You're like, I never yeah. thought that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was great. Yes. I'm oh, sorry. I didn't realize what you said at first, but yes. It I was a complicated question. I have, <laughs> I have definitely had that thought before of like, I'm so glad Allie did this person. Like I think about that with a lot of like the um, religious people that you do because I you know so much people. about religion. <laughs> Um, and it's, it's very really weird incredible. for somebody who's not religious. <laughs> I'm obsessed with it. You're just like Emily Dickinson about how like you overthink it so much because you respect it. I love it. I so. wish I was religious. <laughs> My God. Okay. Are you I, ready for more drinks? I'm ready for more drinks. Boop, boop, boop.
<laughs> what are these people even doing I here? Welcome back. All right, we're back for part two. An exciting part two. I can't wait. I literally know nothing about this person, so I'm stoked. Yeah, this is a person that I found when I was doing a Today in History post, and yeah. I like book noted them in my head. Okay, like, perfect, this is going to be a really cool person to cover. Um, so do you want to know what you're drinking? I do. So... I realized that we have not used cranberry juice in a really long time. Mm, and I love cranberry. I mean, I used white cranberry Yeah, juice you did recently. Ago, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think cranberry juice different. is like a really good cocktail mixer that everybody kind of has on Ugh. hand. Also, I'm just going to say it's really good for like your uterus. Yeah. Like it cleans you're your supposed to get some cranberry juice in you to like stay it's like what does it do it does something good for like that area. anytime i had a uti uti they would that's be like is. drink cranberry juice just naturally yeast yep. infection yogurt that's what it is yeast in- yeah yeast I, infection like, I think goes they yogurt. also does it also help okay yeah i think both so. then uti and yeast infection just be drinking it cranberry just juice. be drinking it <laughs> this is our promo for this evening cranberry <laughs> juice for female hygiene um and the person i'm covering would love me saying that excellent so that's good <laughs> This cocktail is called the Surgeon's Choice. Mm. It is an ounce and a half of bourbon, a half an ounce of sweet vermouth, two ounces of cranberry juice, two dashes of bitters, and a maraschino cherry on the rocks. Love it. So cool. Looks very bloody. It does. Mm. The bourbon mixed with the cranberry juice is such a good combination. It's so funny because I'm getting cinnamon notes, Uh and I don't know where that's coming from. It's not in there. Because nothing is cinnamon in here. No. I think it just tastes very fallish to me. Oh, I I could totally see that. It is very, it is very fall. Mm. Yeah, I think it's just like a little bit of spice from like the bourbon, and it just tastes so good. I love Mm. it. Nice, clean cocktail. (laughs) Great. We're getting really good at cocktails. I think we're getting exponentially better. Listen, your one last week with the waffles, the best one yet. I think <laughs> of all time, best one we've ever done. I don't think best of all time, but it was pretty good. I loved it. <laughs> loved it. I wanted you to come over the next two days in a row and make it for oh me again. Oh my gosh. There are some where I'm like, man, this is so fucking good. But it's also funny because now I feel like, I should be better at like because when people come over, they're like, "Oh, you're the cocktail expert. Like, whip us up a drink." And I'm like, oh, I get on my phone really and I look up like our that. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, Miss Krista on Instagram is our oh official gosh. cocktail trier. Yes, she is. She's doing amazing. I can't believe she's actually making like so many of these drinks. We need to send her stickers. We need to send her stickers. We should probably also send her like a bottle of liqueur or something, uh-huh. so she doesn't have to spend too much Ms. money. Miss Krista, DM us um, where you live. Please? Um, Miss Krista, you're amazing. She's being we so love cool. you. I love that she's trying our drink. She can be our official. We just keep making up official people. I know. She's <laughs> our official cocktail trier. We have an official pirate yes. expert. We have an mm-hmm. official scientist. Mm-hmm. We have our West Coast sister podcast. Yes. <laughs> and we have now an official cocktail drinker. Um, yeah, it was great. I actually listened to an episode of Hashtag History the other day. They do like these little side mini-sodes now, which are really fun. Yeah, they're cute. Um, and there's one about like the mad king of ludwig or something like that that one was really fun so i'd recommend that yeah um Go but yeah that, we everybody. love it um we also love it. we love them also another podcast side note beyond reproach did a job did an episode about the freaking lbjs and it's bananas um i love 
love Beyond Reproach. It's so good. They're so good. They're so much smarter than us. Oh my god! If you want actual information, mile. go to New York. <laughs> I just like it's really crazy. Um, but yeah, they did a, an episode on um Ladybird and Lindenberg Johnson. Oh my gosh! And it's. So much fun. Oh, I was everybody. just go, dying go, go. the entire time. Go there. So go there. hashtag history beyond reproach. They're so good. So they're just some of our friendly friend podcasts that we like to recommend. It's really weird. The digital friends we've made. And I then I mean, we were fortunate enough to before the pandemic be able to meet beyond reproach in real life. So great. And I was a mess. And I'm sorry you had to take me to McDonald's at like 2 a.m. I'm also deeply ashamed that I acted the way I did in a restaurant where Chip and Joanna gain frequent. <laughs> We were not being okay. We were so uncouth. <laughs> but, but we're from Baltimore. Ah, they expect it. They should, at least. <laughs> we're rats. Um, anyways. <laughs> oh I'm sorry. God. We haven't even gotten to... Okay, tell me about Mary. What do you know about Dr. Mary Edwards Walker? So, she was a surgeon in the Civil War. And that I know that only because you literally just told me 10 minutes ago. Yeah, you had to take a good picture. I had to take a good picture. So, I had to pick a background that felt surgeon-y. I don't know if I did that. But... Um, yeah, that's all I know. I don't know anything about this woman. I've literally never heard of her. So I'm going to do my best to tell this great, great story. I am blown away that women like this exist. And I love her. Oh, I'm excited to learn. I'm I'm (sighs) excited to fall in love with her because that's how I felt when you did Patsy Mink. You did such a good job on Patsy Mink that now I'm literally obsessed with her. All I want to do is talk about her. God, she's so. I have to listen to that episode six times because Storm is cool too. <laughs> <laughs> but I also edit them, so I listen I'm to them. I was going to say, that was one of our better ones. Hey. I think we did a really season, good job. That's a season five highlight. What season are we on? Five, six. Who five, knows? six. We're on season six. That was great. Okay. <laughs> Dr. Mary Edwards Walker was obviously not born a doctor, but I'm going to call her Dr. Mary the whole time because she fucking deserves it. <laughs> She was born in New York, holla, on (laughs) November 26th, 1832. So I just do want to point out from last week that she is born before Eliza Hamilton dies. So like, there's an overlap in these stories. They're cusping hard. Right. And it's just so weird because you have to remember this revolutionary person is still alive and she's just being born. It's like being born on the 23rd. I mean, you are just a cusp between two astrological signs. And she was born on November 26th. So she's Ah! a Sagittarius like me. Are you on a cusp? I'm a cusp. Okay, so are you. Yeah, yeah, because we're on the 23rd. 23rd's a cusp. Okay. That's why I said it, but I wanted to double check. I'm a Scorpio Sagittarius and you're a Libra Scorpio. Libra Scorpio. But that's the thing is... Again, fiance and I have the same birthday, so I think he's a Libra and I think I'm a Scorpio. Great. I'm not and a Scorpio. And nothing has solidified this more than I saw. I'm so sorry for going on this tangent because I really want to learn about Mary. This is all people want, really. But there was a <laughs> post going around that was like, talk about menu items as <laughs> the signs. Mm. And I was like, this is how I know that Casey's a Libra and I'm a Scorpio, regardless of us having the same birthday, because... I was uh, a volcano taco, and Casey was a Cine Crunch twist. Cine twist. Do you know what year he was? Like the year nineteen ninety. No, but like the year of the what? Because producer and I were year of the tiger. He's year of the. Because that makes a big difference whether you're Ooh. Libra or Scorpio. This is so off kilter. It doesn't matter. I'm so sorry. Um, I'm really curious. Chinese zodiac. 
I feel like he's the year of the tiger too. Well, because uh, producer and I and Caroline are all year of the tiger, and Eliza is year. Oh, of he's the- a horse. Oh, a horse. What Eliza- is Eliza? Oh, I knew that because so is Marjorie. Yeah, the same age. Uh, Eliza's a rabbit, so she's a rabbit living with three tigers. Like, no wonder she's so stressed Crazy. out all the time. Oh my god. Oh my god. We're this- a horse and a rooster. Oh, perfect. <laughs> perfect. We're just two. Happy, happy, happy guys on a farm. No wonder you get up so early. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> so her father is Alva Walker, Whitcomb Walker, and her mother is Vesta Whitcomb Walker. Yes, they hyphenated oh. their last names in the 1800s. Unbelievable. Her parents. So ahead of their time. So you know how every kid has someone in their class named Island in kindergarten or like some weird fucking name? And you're like, oh, their parents were Definitely at Woodstock. Mine was Keenan, and he wore a tie-dye shirt every single day, and I was in love with him. Mine was Island. And sometimes I still <laughs> look him up on Facebook. So, Keenan, if you listen, DM me. Right. We want to talk to I'm you. I'm engaged, but I want to talk to you, and I think you're married. So That's fine. We can still talk about it. Come on chat. our podcast. Come on our podcast. Keenan. Oh, my gosh. We should have our kindergarten boyfriends on the podcast. <gasps> Um, Island, uh, I can't even understand. Like, I don't know his last name. I know he had bleach blonde hair. Listen, if you are from the Baltimore area <laughs> and your name is Island and you went to a small private Christian school, you went to kindergarten with me. Anyway, ditto her, for Keenan. Her parents were this type of people I that named their it. children Island or Keenan. So Alva and Vesta Whitcomb-Walker were born both in Massachusetts and married in 1822 and then moved to Syracuse, New York to start a family. Mary was the second youngest of their several, several children. She had multiple sisters and one brother. The eldest is Vesta, named after the mom. Then Aurora Borealis is the next one. Then Luna is the next one. Then they start to get a little bit more normal. I'm sorry. Are they Celtic? This is bananas. (laughs) It is. Then Cynthia. Then Mary Edwards, which the fact that her middle name is a male name is very off kilter. Yes. And then the son is Alva Jr. In the middle of having all these children, the family moves to a 33-acre farm to live their lives and provide for themselves. So they're like hippie farming for themselves in the 1800s. That's so cool because I literally didn't know that people like that existed at that time period. I didn't either. This is amazing. I'm and a hook, line, and sinker. I'm in it. Love them already. <laughs> um, Alva and Vesta raised their children, male and female, very progressively. This made Mary a very independent thinker throughout her life. They were devout Christians, as everybody was at the time, but also free thinkers, and they asked their children to question regulations and restrictions. So they were religious, but nonconformists. They also believed in non-traditional gender roles, sharing work on the farm. The mom often came out and helped in heavy labor, and the dad would help with work in the house. So it was very like a present-day situation mary worked on the farm as a child and she did not wear women's clothing while doing farm work because it was too restricted in fact her mother reinforced this habit with all of the children she considered corseting unnatural and unhealthy therefore the kids none of them were allowed to corset she would she could literally exist right right now now. and it's like i do know that corseting like images are an over exaggeration like they didn't really crush you the way that they show but also like if you don't fucking want to wear it don't wear it right because there is like a form of um 
Because, like, I mean, I've worn, like, some, like, shapewear and things like yeah. that. So, like, weddings and shit. And sometimes it does feel kind of, like, nice to have it all just, like, tight, you know? Uh-huh. Um, but I do think that, like, I think they could be com- more comfortable than we think they were. Right. But... But also they're impractical, impractical for like labor jobs. Absolutely. It's like, yes, if I'm going to go to a wedding, I can deal with it for a couple hours, but I don't want to do working on a farm. Kill a farm. Yeah. No. So they were very like progressive in that area. Okay. Her elementary education was at a local school that her parents had to start because they wanted their girls to have the same education as their boys. So they started a school to make sure all their daughters could go to school. Their dad was a firm believer in free thought and wanted his daughters an equal chance at education and professional careers, the same as his one son. He was also outspoken against tobacco and alcohol, so he would hate this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) He'd be like, drinking? You guys are heathens. Um, The family, though, was also staunch abolitionists, and their house was used as a spot on the Underground Railroad. Stop! Yes! obsessed with them she grew up and was like let's free the slaves because they're in new york so it's yeah. the last stop before canada <gasps> it's like you're almost oh there go go for it so i love that about them i'm honestly i think about the underground railroad all the time and i'm constantly amazed it's by it. so cool it's so fucking cool i mean and I, I don't think I appreciated enough when we did the Harriet Tubman episode because it was so early on. Yeah, it was one of our um, very early episodes, but there was still so much that I learned about her. We do not give Harriet Tubman enough fucking credit no. for all the badass shit she did. No way. Literally, everyone just thinks of her as this old ass woman who freed a couple slaves. Who freed a couple slaves. No. Not the case. Go back and listen to that episode yeah. for our not like our like just go back and listen to the episode. And we even like. We've learned so much since then. I can like when I listen to old episodes. I recently listened to our Sarah Palin a Benazir Bhutto <laughs> episode just because sometimes I scroll back and just click one and I'm yeah. like, oh my god, we sound so much better now. I know <laughs> like, we're so much grown up because it's been two years, so it's yeah. like we're we're aging well, like fine wine. <laughs> <laughs> so um, after primary school, Mary and her two older sisters attended a seminary in New York because this is a place of higher ed that would educate girls. Uh, but it also focused on social reform and gender roles and education and hygiene, just like all the normal things. And while attending this school, it was when she really openly began to defy traditional female standards and said, this is an injustice. She makes that statement for the first time in like her secondary education. Her father was also kind of a self-taught country doctor. So he read up on medicine and in her free time, she would pour over her father's medical texts and um, in both traditional and non-traditional medicine. So she's like learning as much as she can. She decided I want to be a doctor, which is really weird in the 1800s and very rare. We also learned two weeks ago about Patsy Mink in like the common era being turned down to be a doctor. So she's doing this like a hundred years earlier. So one, the problem is it was indecent for women to see a naked human body. So being a doctor was like not cool. And then two, it was too hard for the female brain to grasp the science that you needed to be a doctor. So (laughs) we definitely did a deep dive into that with, I can't remember who, but it was talking about that kind of shit where it was like, they literally thought that the female brain was like so much weaker and it's like, 
fuck off. You can't like, figure it out. You can't figure it out. Your brain is weaker. You have your period. Like I always hated that. Like where it's like you can't, a woman can't be present. She's going to be on her period and then she's going to start a nuclear war. And it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Men are like so much more volatile and like <laughs> white male rage, man. <laughs> white male rage. I could white sing that. Rage. Every day I could sing it. Every day. There's it's... an opportunity to sing it and you'd be completely in the right. Just turn on the news. Um, <laughs> so at 19 years old, she began doing what all women did, teaching in a nearby town to make some money. And she decided, I'm going to teach and I'm going to scrimp and save so that I can pay my way through medical school. Love it. And she does. So three years earlier, Elizabeth Blackwell had, who we haven't done yet, surprisingly. Every time we do a female (laughs) doctor, I'm like, is she the first female doctor? And you're like, no, No, Katie, that was Elizabeth Blackwell. Blackwell, (laughs) You fucking idiot. And I'm like, oh, so sorry. Every time. But I almost said it today. And then I was like, I think it was someone else. Yeah. Elizabeth Blackwell was that person. But she had graduated three years earlier from Geneva Medical College in the Finger Lakes. But that college got cold feet. And even though Blackwell had graduated near the top of her class, they stopped accepting women because they just got so much heat from doing it. So she saved enough money to go to Syracuse Medical College. This was a co-ed college from the start. They taught um, mostly at this point in the U.S. traditional medicine because they were moving to more science-based things like anesthesia. But Syracuse taught eclectic medicine. What does that mean? They kind of focused on like botanical remedies, but also wild things such as you should have a healthy diet and exercise. This is the whole. All right. So I. <laughs> I'm so glad again we're talking about this because I feel like we talked about this recently too, where it's like, yeah, you, we talked about this in the Marie Laveau episode because people were having better results, you know, with her because she was like, yeah, here's like a nice like herbal tea because this is more natural. And the doctors are like, leeches are the new scientific forefront and you're like suck me dry (laughs) it's crazy it's like when you okay so i want everybody to go on and google like how to be prettier for free like if you google that what i listen i (laughs) i'm weird on google but if you were to google that the first thing that comes up is drink a lot of water and sleep more yeah because taking care of yourself is very easy we just all refuse to do it yeah and I don't do it. I'm oh not gosh, like my no. liver's trash. But the point is like she is just learning like you have to take care of your body and women have to exercise and they won't die if they exercise and their uterus won't fall out and they won't become a man. Like she's like learning these off kilter things that people don't consider medicine at the time. I love that she's like this wild hippie <laughs> like <laughs> she is like botanical <sighs> garden hippie woman and still incredible i love it so because she's also totally right yeah and that like hey you know that thing that they're putting leeches on you for you could just drink more water and it would solve your problem you'd be really good with and it. eat vegetables that would solve just it. a couple maybe a cantaloupe just here there come on with the spinach get a lope um <laughs> get a lope <laughs> I love farmers markets that write lopes on the sign because cantaloupe is so long. <laughs> Do you know? I don't know what you're talking oh, about. It's because I work in Harvard County. So I drive up the streets and it's just like lopes turn left here. I'm like, I don't want your lopes. <laughs> <laughs> 
this was perfect for her because a she was a hippie and b she's a woman and they accepted women so she goes to this school she graduates as a medical doctor in 1855 the only woman in her class but of course the medical field did not want a female doctor let alone one with a degree in alternative medicine so she went to ohio to live with her aunt and tries to start a medical practice that fails miserably Mm. so she comes back to new york and marries a fellow medical school student named albert miller on november 16th 1855 right after she turns 23 or before she turns 23 same month she did not wear a traditional wedding gown. She wore a skirt with trousers underneath. She struck the word obey from the vowels. <gasps> My and girl. she also retained her own last name, just like her parents, so that she was Dr. Miller Walker. The husband-wife duo set off to make a joint practice in New York. The practice did not do well because female doctors were not trusted at the time. And then she very quickly found out that her husband was not being faithful to her. And the couple separated and she moved into an apartment on her own like a badass. <sighs> I Nothing brings me greater joy than a woman doing it on herself in an apartment. Yeah. I love I don't know why that I think it's because of Sex, sex and the City. City. It feels good to also RIP to Sex and the City on Amazon Prime. It's not on there anymore. Yeah. And I'm completely devastated. It's it's hard to not watch it every day. It's really difficult and it's a, completely disrupted my routine. Um we gotta get you the but, box set. I know. Apparently I have to get a box set or I have to get HBO Prime, whatever it is. Um I have a box set of the deadliest catch and it's embarrassing. <laughs> why did i buy dvds of the deadliest catch like i would need to see it again the podcast is canceled Allie. that's outrageous (laughs) but i but But i will say oh my god but we do share a secret shame because when my family first got cable when i was in 10th grade Mm -hmm. in high school I don't know what you're going to say. I'm really worried. <laughs> that was the first thing I watched was Deadliest Catch. Because <laughs> I was like, everybody loves this show. I should watch it. And then I was like, I'm going to watch Deadliest Catch in my bedroom. Oh, my God. Because we have cable now. Now that I'm 16 or however old you are in like 11th grade. I think I was in 11th grade. Yeah. The first two years of mine and producer's marriage was totally caught up in... <laughs> And like, we're adults. We can have cable now. We can have have Deadly Sketch on DVD. I I also love the idea of like you being married so young and being in a ton of debt. And that's what you spent your money on. Girl. (laughs) And not to air your grievances out. But like. (laughs) We were in $75,000 of debt after we got married so young like idiots. What What were we doing? What were we doing? Alaskan ice fishing, apparently. <laughs> My God, that show. Oh. I'm so sorry, Mary. We keep getting so distracted. <laughs> Listen, it's fine. It'll be great. Everything's going to be fine. Uh, <laughs> we'll just keep saying it. Okay. Also, around this time, she decides I'm going to go to the Bowen Collegiate Institute in Iowa until she was suspended for refusing to resign from the debating society, which was supposed to be only Ben. But the point in including that in the story is that she continued her education. She kept thinking, if I learn more, they'll accept me. If I do more, they'll want me. They'll take me. They'll have me be a part of them. And you just can't. You can't be average and be on par with a man. You have to be better, which sucks. But it's what happens. 
Well, that's the whole thing is like at that point in history, it didn't matter how good you were because you didn't have a penis. Right. So it quite literally didn't matter how fucking educated you were. You were never going to be accepted because you didn't have that genitalia. Right. And that's very frustrating. It is so limited. So the first way that she tackled that was with dress reform. So Mary was infamous for contrasting traditional female wardrobe rules. She said, the greatest sorrows from which women suffer today are those physical, moral, and mental ones that are caused by their unhygienic manner of dressing. She truly believed that you had to oppose long skirts and multiple petticoats because of, one, the discomfort, two, the mobility, and three, they just collected dust and dirt and like threw it up in your face the whole time you're walking. I never thought about that. And she was just like, this is so unhealthy. So as a young woman, she started experimenting with various skirt lengths and layers of pants and petticoats underneath of all of them. And her clothes were traditional male pants, like I said, in physical with suspenders and the the skirt was T-length and it like flared out. And then she would have like a tailored, you know, suit jacket on top. It almost looked like a dress, like a very tailored dress. These choices were often met with criticism. When she was teaching at school, she was chased home and assaulted by some boys who were like throwing eggs and other miscellaneous goods at her. Her female colleagues criticized her when she was a doctor. Her patients gawked at her and teased her. And she persisted, though, believing that clothes should protect the person and be easily mobile, saying, and I quote, clothes should not make the wearer a slave to it. She famously wrote to a woman's journal about her campaign against women's fashion because of its you know, injuries to your health because of the expense, because of the struggles within your marriage from dressing like this. And her ideas, you know, made her at first very, very popular for feminists and female physicians. But that's not why she's famous. The Civil War is what would change her life. At the age of 29, she left her very minimal, small, unsuccessful private practice doctor job and she goes to dc to volunteer she's like oh my god there's a shortage of doctors they need doctors they're gonna take me so she goes to dc mary volunteers as a surgeon and is rejected because she's a woman despite having degrees having practiced for many years and being more qualified than the male volunteers and they offer her a role as a nurse she declines i'm not a nurse I'm a doctor. I'm what not going to do that. Fuck. I, they need, this is the Civil War. They needed her. They're literally desperate for doctors. And I feel like it's that whole scene of like, is anyone a doctor on this plane? And she's like, I am a doctor. And they're like, is any anyone man else? a doctor on this plane? <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's insane. They did not want her. And she's volunteering to go and do it for almost nothing. They could have paid her less. She's like, I'll pay you to be a doctor. Yeah, let me come. Like, please. just let me help people. And Ugh. oh, my God, it's dreadful. So she's unable to get a job with the military. So she sets up at this makeshift hospital that's being built at the U.S. Patents Office in D.C. because they have so many injured soldiers. Mm-hmm. So Mary made a great impression on the head surgeon there, Dr. J.N. Green. And he asks the government, please pay her. Please, because she's doing her job. And the Surgeon General says, no, if we pay her as a woman, then all women are going to think they can be doctors. 
So they just. What a travesty <laughs> that all women hire. might think they could be doctors. Um, so she works there for a while for fucking free and then leaves, obviously, because she's tight on cash. And she decides I'm going to go and learn more because maybe they'll want me. So she goes to the Hygienia Therapeutic College in New York City, which stressed, again, hydration diet of fruit and vegetables, exercise, and proper hygiene. Get these boys some deodorant, please. Please. Um, and oh so... gosh, the Axe body spray <laughs> was real. It is real. <laughs> you should smell that's a middle school after all, PE class. It's literally all My I girl. think of when I think of seventh grade is Axe body spray. Oh, I was going to say Sean Wickstead. Axe body that's spray. That's all I think about <laughs> when I think of Sean Wickstead. Axe body, body spray and my mental decline. That's what I think of when I think of middle school. Um, it's insane. <laughs> but I'm then, sorry, Anna. Just listen. wanted to say that because I have to say it all the time. Um, <laughs> Anna's like a jurist doctor now. Anna is Im- incredible. And we're very good friends. Just to show you that. like, Middle I, school sucked, but you guys were great. I fucked up real bad in middle school and I was a uh, real It was Anna. not only you. Don't only blame yourself for that. Okay. But I also have to take personal responsibility. You can. But middle school girls suck all of you, not just you. True. But Anna, I'm so glad we patched things up and now we're very good friends. <laughs> I'm sending her this clip immediately. <laughs> okay. And I think she's amazing and looks great. Is she the and, one that's married to Brian Leonard? Yes. Okay. And she's awesome. Good. So. All right. All right. So now we just put all their last names out there. <laughs> Google them. <laughs> They're great. Find them on Facebook. So <laughs> she graduates with her second medical diploma. Now she's double degreed in medicine. She goes back to Washington and she's like, okay, I'm going to go to this encampment in Virginia. And conditions are worse than she imagines. There are critically wounded soldiers. There's a typhoid outbreak. She's going around looking for supplies to help these men, but there just isn't enough. So at one point, she's trying to help this man who's like bleeding out in the middle of the night and she's ripping her nightgown up to like put compressions and like tie him together. And it's seen as scandalous because this woman (laughs) is ripping her clothing. Do you ever think about that? I think about that all the time. Like, what would you do if to a man make a was tourniquet? like if a person was bleeding and needed to tourniquet? I would absolutely rip my shirt off. How could you not? How could you not? She's literally upholding the Hippocratic oath. Listen, take off your hair tie, put it around his bicep. You're fine. <clears throat> or rip your clothes off. <laughs> There's so, and that's the thing too. I'm, I wonder if people are like, well, if she was wearing all her petticoats, she could have just ripped her petticoat off. That's bullshit. Like, y'all, she's wearing a nightgown because she was sleeping. You can't sleep in petticoats. In a Civil War encampment, there's no petticoats. Mm. So it became clear that it was impossible to treat these men in the camp with these conditions. I just spilled beer all over me. (laughs) Because I was so distracted by the D's upstairs. The dogs. (laughs) The dogs. Why are you from New York? Okay. It became clear that it was impossible to treat these men in the camp with these conditions. So Mary asks General Burnside if she can take the sickest men back to Washington, D.C. to treat them. And he gives her permission. So they load all the super sick men on a train car. And then she realized there's too many super sick men. So she takes the lesser of the super sick men and ties them to the top of the train car. <laughs> And gets them all back to DC, both in and on top of the train. Cars. I'm sorry, is this the Beverly Hillbillies? What are they doing? <laughs> this is 
This ah! is the Civil War. The fresh air will do them fine. <laughs> Get them some light. Obsessed. Okay. Um, so she drops them off and goes back to the front lines. And she goes back in the thick of it. She serves in the Battle of Fredericksburg and the, Fred- the Battle of Chattanooga. And the Union Army is using her as a civilian and making her act mostly in a nursing role. Although the doctors there understand her knowledge and skill base. Keep in mind, she's unpaid. She's not being paid to do any of this. So they can't say like, oh, the U.S. military employed a female doctor. So they're keeping her unpaid so they don't have to put it on the book. <laughs> what a scourge on the reputation to pay a female doctor. Right. Thank God they didn't put it on paper. Yeah. And again, I do want to say there were male doctors asking the government to pay her. They knew she was doing a good job and they were putting her to good use. So... As per her holistic medicine approach, before she even got to the war front, she believed that the military surgeons were amputating too frequently. <gasps> she said, you're amputating people's arms and legs when it's not necessary. But then she got there and she was like, oh, you're definitely amputating too frequently. She said, leave the limbs, okay? Leave them. Hashtag leave the limbs. So like... <sighs> If you had an amputation back then, you were shit out of luck. Like, there aren't wheelchairs and ramps and prosthetics. You, there's no. Most likely you're going to bleed out and die of infection. Yeah, the gangrene gang was alive and well Yeah, and then. she thinks, like, they're definitely doing this too frequently. So she's there, and she can't really stand up to male doctors, but she can speak to the soldiers. So when she found out that soldiers needed an amputation, she would go and examine the patient herself, and if she thought it wasn't needed, she would swear the soldier to secrecy and tell him to refuse the surgery. Pinky promise. Don't tell him. Don't tell (laughs) General Grant (laughs) that I'm telling you no. Um, So just a little side note here. Also, while this is happening, she's discovering female soldiers coming into these hospitals that are (gasps) hiding in male clothing. I cannot wait because there's so there's a couple that have like made the history books and I cannot wait to cover them because we absolutely will. Yeah, and we we will. But she is just like she alerts the newspaper in Washington, D.C. Like, do you know how many women are fighting in these wars? Specifically, Frances Hook, who comes into the hospital dressed up like a man to fight. So she is not only a woman in the hospital, but now she's seeing other women who are also dressed up like men to do men jobs, you know, so she's very into it. They still will not pay her any money. So she goes to Washington, D.C. to, again, attempt to set up a medical practice. This is a pattern for her. She volunteers as long as she can on the money she has. And then she goes back and sets up a practice. And then she volunteers. And then she goes. So she's like back and forth making money and doing free work. Unable, though, once she's in D.C. to turn her back on people in need, she witnesses thousands of women and children pouring into D.C. to try to find their fathers, brothers, sons who have been wounded by the war. And they have no money to stay anywhere. And they're sleeping in the streets. So Dr. Edwards Walker got aid from the city mayor to set up a house for women and children in the city. And it's right across from Ford's Theater. So most people have visited Ford's Theater where Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. But you have then seen... The building across the street is where she set this up. Um, 
She put an advert in the newspaper that said, and I quote, Dr. Mary Walker has the pleasure to inform those females who are homeless that she secured a respectable room where they can remain overnight free of charge. Free. Love it. She's doing this on her minimal dime and her minimal influence. This is the first woman's home ever in the city of Washington, D.C. While in the city, she sends letters to the government asking if she can set up her own regiment, including herself as the surgeon. And the union forces need bodies. They need surgeons. But they're just like, nope, she's rejected. So then she sends a letter directly to President Lincoln, and he writes her back. And he says in part of his letter the medical department of the army is an organized system in the hands of men supposed to be learned in the profession and i'm sure it would injure the services from me with a strong hand thrust among them anyone male or female against their consent so i get it he's like saying no because it's not my job to be a part of that but saying he's pretty much saying i'm not going to impose presidential power to ensure women's rights at this time he's Pontius piloting it he's yeah. going I'm gonna wash my hands I'm gonna let this. somebody else deal with it I mean he's already hated enough for inserting his hand in the slavery issue <sighs> but it's also like yeah. this is one woman saying I have these talents and he's like hey listen he says later in the letter if they want you I'm all for it women can be doctors but I'm not gonna tell them they have to which is like, come on, you told the whole South they couldn't own slaves. Why can't you tell I know. this one person that they have to take a woman in their freaking surgeon? Like, it's <laughs> so annoying. And it's, I don't know, it, you know, it's so hard because you want, there's people like Lincoln who you just want to be like, they're great. But then it's like, they also, it's the same thing in the Sojourner True Story. There are some things that he was just not ready for. That Well, and that's the thing, it's, lapses of judgment that's thing is it lapses of judgments or you know this is only so far as my power goes right you know what i'm saying yeah it's hard I to say i don't know no i don't know and you know we've also like also lincoln was lincoln. most likely gay yeah but we can also talk about that at a different time when we talk about mary tom lincoln every man was almost probably gay yeah <laughs> <laughs> every man in leadership they just got scared out of it true my god okay that's not a real sentence so not willing to give up this is the problem with our podcast oh my gosh maybe it's why people like it maybe it's why people hate it i can't tell <laughs> it's both i know that um i was listening to beyond reproach one time and they were like yeah, we get drunk, but they're like, but hers from the rocks, they get real drunk. And I was like, I know, it's a problem. Uh, you don't know how much embarrassing things I cut. <laughs> okay, be a Patreon, you would know. You know. So, not willing to give up, she asks the congressman to write a letter on her behalf, but they send back a scolding reply saying, she was unskilled in surgery or medicine, and her use of remedies is no better than the traditional housewife. She has multiple degrees in medicine. And they're like, she's no better than the normie. And they suggest that she would be better in nursing or maybe obstetrics. So OB. Like, you can work on the vagina or and, you can work in and nursing. And meanwhile, like, OB means, like, you can be a midwife. Right. Like, it's not like it's a specified medical field at this point. It's no. like you can go and deliver children. Exactly. Like, and help them out. Like 
So they're pretty much saying you're only a nurse. Reminder. And that's and that's saying that like only a nurse as in like nurses yeah, Like it's suck. a bad thing. No, that's but not like, all we're saying. Can you imagine if you were a nurse and you were trained completely as a surgeon? And people are trampling nur- on your rights. Because also like nurses still get paid shit. And for treated all like the shit. work that they do. Oh, yeah. Like. And that's the whole thing. It's kind of like, and they got paid even less back then. And it was like, I feel like being a nurse back then was just like being like a mom now of like, or a teacher. Exactly. Of like, yeah, but you're not really medical. And And they're like, yeah, I am medical. I trained for this for so long and you're not treating me properly. It's the entire identification too, because like when I was at Hopkins with Caroline, 98 percent of the people i interacted with were nurses yeah because uh, what i learned multiple days because what they're like their job is to like tell the doctors if there's a problem yeah because the doctors like they have a lot on their plate so they're just coming in and like they're giving their like official diagnosis basically but the nurses are doing so much of like the backbreaking work yeah so like shout out to all of our nurse listeners because you are truly like the backbone of our medical system and that you're doesn't essential. get res- you're oh my god you're an essential employee <laughs> and like i just feel like nurses like don't get like the respect and pay that they deserve and i literally always think of carla from scrubs oh yeah and how she was always like no like you can't give that patient that medicine they're diabetic right and the doctor's like oh shit i didn't see it on their chart she was like of course you didn't like because you were here for two minutes yeah exactly so Mm. shout out to the nurses you're fucking amazing then there and now and but like and it also sucks that it's become such a demeaning piece of our society like i don't whatever yeah. you know what i'm saying no, but like, it, it's weird because it's also like there's this woman who trained as a doctor who's like refusing to be a nurse because they are different roles they're different roles. you can't say oh you just you're a basketball player oh you'd be great at baseball yeah like those are separate things mm-hmm. and it's like you might be okay at it because you're an athlete but that doesn't mean that that's your thing yeah so it's like pigeonholing people and she was being pigeonholed specifically because of her gender yeah so as fate would have it the assistant surgeon of the 52nd regiment died of a morphine overdose and they're in urgent need of a replacement. Now morphine is a medicine they used a lot in the civil war. And a lot of the soldiers came out with morphine addictions, including the creator of Coca Cola, (gasps) who is why he ends up creating Pemberton's wine cola to be like a medicine after the civil war. Um, So reluctantly they let her in the first contract female surgeon in the army ever they're like you're gonna be a surgeon for the army because this guy just died (laughs) (laughs) listen it has to happen intense work little pay but she's so happy to do it no official commission or rank as part of her job she would have to travel deep into enemy territory and help the wounded during her service, she frequently crossed battle lines and treated people from the Confederacy and the Union. If she saw a soldier in need, she did whatever she had to do for the North and the South. So because of this, on April 10th, 1864, she's captured by Confederate troops and arrested as a spy. The thing is, though, she was in the process of doing a surgery on a Southern 
soldier. So they let her finish and then they take her as a prisoner of war after fixing this man. Oh my God. So she was sent to Castle Thunder in Richmond, Virginia, which was a factory turned into a prison. And if you Google Castle Thunder, you'll very quickly find out that the conditions were deplorable. It's overcrowded. It's not a clean prison. The prisoners are subject to suffering and barbarous treatment. Barbarous? Barbarous. 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 Treatment. And yet, Mary cares for all the wounded soldiers while she's there. She's going around, like, helping the soldiers in the prison. She was there for four months, but before her release in August... She is told that she should change into these women's clothing and she refuses to change into the women's clothing because how is she going to care for all these men while she's in there? She's in girl clothes. So she ends up being traded for a high ranking Southern officer, becoming the first woman ever to be exchanged for a prisoner of war officer. And she was so proud of that. She said, it proves that women have considerable value. If you're going to trade me for an officer. She did struggle with health after, though, because four months in one of these jails is bad. Significant weight loss, muscular dystrophy, vision loss. She has nothing. So she can't be a surgeon anymore because she doesn't have her like abilities. So she again turns to Washington. She's still technically in the U.S. military. So they give her appointments. First, they send her to serve in a female prison in Kentucky as the surgeon in charge. Does not go very well. She's there for six months, but it's horrendous and nobody's going to take orders from a woman. You know what I mean? Oh, this is the surgeon in charge of all of us prison guards. Yeah, sure. So she requests to be transferred and go back to the front lines. And they do transfer her, but not back to the front lines. They send her to an orphanage in Tennessee. After one month there, the Civil War ends. And then so does her duty in military service. She, of course, seeks and is denied post-war commission as an army surgeon uh, because she was never on the books. So she can't prove any of this because it wasn't written down. They reply that she has been considered by the secretary of war, but there's no law to authorize that a woman has ever done this. So they didn't want to leave her empty handed. So Andrew Jackson gave her the congressional medal of honor for her military service. She was so excited and wore it with pride on her lapel. Like, you know, like the cowardly lion has like his medal (laughs) on his lip, like right here that Dorothy puts on or no, Oz puts on. That's literally how she wore it. That shyster. Yeah. Forever. (laughs) Yeah. The Oz. Pay no attention. Okay. (laughs) They could not deny that she had been at Castle Thunder, though, even though they didn't have records of her other places. They had records of her being taken as a prisoner of war. So Mary was awarded a disability pension for her muscular atrophy. She suffered while she was in prison. So they gave her eight dollars and 50 cents a month from 1865 to 1899 when that amount was raised to 20 dollars a month. The same as Harriet Tubman. So I'm so happy we brought that up earlier because they were both Civil War women that end up with the same exact military pension. Wow. Which is great. It's still half of like male pension, but they got it. 
Mary became a writer and lecturer supporting issues like healthcare, temperance, which again, she would hate this podcast, women's <laughs> rights, and dress reform. She was frequently arrested for wearing men's clothing, including a top hat. And she said, I don't wear men's clothes. I wear my own clothes. So fun. I love that because I feel like that's what people say. They're like, how can they be like men's or women's clothes if I own clothes. them? They're my clothes. clothes. Mm, I love it. So in 1870, Mary was arrested in New Orleans and mocked for her male clothing. The officer twisted her arm. How dare New Orleans? (laughs) The officer twisted her arm and asked if she had even ever had sex with a man. And y'all police reform needed to happen like literally hundreds of years. Brutality. Brutality. Come on. It's like. This is exactly what people are talking about. It's literally built into the system. You can't do that to somebody. You can't. He's like mocking her publicly because of what she's wearing. And asking her questions about her personal sex life. Not okay. And using it as justification to like arrest her. That's ridiculous. It's so stupid. She ends up getting released from custody, though, because they recognize her at the police court. They're like, oh, this is like the fucking oh, Civil shit. War hero. Yeah. Like, let her go. After the war, she never practiced medicine again. But she did boldly divorce her husband, who she had been separated from for years. Forgot about him. Yeah, but she finally kind of kicks him to the curb with yeah. like a real legal document. So she became a member of the Central Women's Suffrage Bureau in Washington and gathered funds to endow a chair for female professorship at Howard University Medical School. She was outspoken in her advocacy for women's rights, and she attempted to register to vote in 1871, but was turned away. She started by saying that women did have the right to vote and that Congress just had to enact it. And then she got in a big fight with the suffragettes because they started with that too but then said we need to make a new amendment which we all know happened in you know 1920 but she says we can't do that because if we if we say that oh women can do this now then it sets a precedent that every law they've passed was only for men oh fuck and then we have to pass a new law that the women are allowed to do it So she is like yelling at the suffragettes that like, no, you're doing this wrong. We have to say it's already legal. And then like, and that's how we fight it. So she promoted this bill called the Mary Walker bill that said that, you know, the U.S. Supreme Court just needs to say that this original amendment included women. We're not adding a new amendment. And the suffragettes just hated her. They were like, you're just hurting our calls. Go away, go away. She does actually publish arguments against this in newspapers she testifies in front of the house of representatives in 1912 and 1914 on behalf of women's suffrage to which she wore a top hat which was wildly unpopular <laughs> but the europeans thought she was great they were like she's so fucking cool I with her top it. hat <laughs> um but in 1917 one of the most awful things happens her name was redacted from the list of Medal of Honor recipients. What? Why? The government wanted to give a pension to anyone who had gotten a Medal of Honor, so they rescind them from people who they think were undeserving. She's not the only one. There's 911 people who no longer qualified so that they didn't have to pay them pension. So she petitions the board for her case, and they said, because there's no records of her, we find no reason that you should keep your Medal of Honor. 
But unlike many of the 911 people, she refused to mail back her medal and wore it day and night so that nobody could take it from her. So she wore it constantly. Later that year, she suffered a devastating fall down the steps of the Capitol building that left her health just deteriorating. She moves in with her neighbors and dies pretty shortly after. It's like a two years of just awful, debilitating fall. After this long illness, Mary dies at 86 years old in 1919, only months before women get the right to vote. Oh, my gosh. She was dressed in a black suit in her casket, and there was a flag laying over it to show that she was a Civil War veteran. Mm. After about 60 years, her family petitioned the government to get her Medal of Honor reinstated after her death. So, in 1977, President Jimmy Carter gave the medal back and added her to the list of Medal of Honor recipients. This makes her the only woman in U.S. history to have received the Medal of Honor, the only woman to have had the Medal of Honor rescinded, and the only woman to have had the Medal of Honor reinstated. And that is the story of Dr. Mary Edwards Walker. That's crazy. How cool is that? That's really cool. She was so neat. She was really cool. And her story took a lot of like twists and turns. And like she just she reminds me so much of Patsy Mink and that I feel like she was always just so fighting for like the things that she was qualified for. And people kept telling her, like, you're not qualified, like just because you're a woman. It's so frustrating. I can't believe there's only one woman in history that got the Medal of Honor. Yeah, that should be a bigger deal. <laughs> well, I don't understand why we don't even know I... who she is. And her clothes were fucking cool. Yeah. I love looking pictures at her because, like, just the skirt with the pants and, like, it's so <sighs> weird looking and I love it. It's so different. So okay. great. Well, we need to talk about these two women in conversation with each other in a little segment that we like to call just, just the two of us. That was flat. That we were not sharp. The first one was sharp. This I don't know. Flat. I think these cocktails were stronger tonight or something. It was whiskey. Yeah, and we bourbon. had two. We had two dark liquor drinks, which are not good for us. Wild, wild, wild. <gasps> okay, so I feel like both of them were so ahead of their time. They were. They were very ahead of their time in the terms of military and in yes. terms of like gender roles. Yeah. And I feel like they were both kind of like off kilter. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like Boudicca was like, yeah, I know my husband was the king of the tribe or whatever, but that means I'm the queen. So like, I'm going to take over. Right. And I feel like people saw that in her and were like, yeah, you are the queen. We're going to vote you the queen because you're the most passionate one. And I feel like that's the exact opposite in Mary's case for like, you're like, "Mm, you're a woman. So like your passion is like. It's like like your passion is your downfall. Whereas with Boudicca, it was the thing that brought her up. And they're like, you're so passionate that you can actually lead an army. But they're like, "Mm, you're a woman, so you're weak. And it's interesting that the people around them are the ones that made them that way. Like Boudicca was Celtic and the Celtic people were like, yeah, women, women, women. And Mary grew up in this family with like a father and a mother and these siblings who were like hippie-esque, like pre-hippie. Hippies the 70s. This is like 100 years earlier. But then also these male doctors around her who are like, can somebody please pay this woman? Like she's doing what I'm doing. Well, because that's the whole thing is I feel like they were both taught to like, 
question authority because in the Celtic tradition, it's like women had always been able to like have power in certain contexts. And it's like, so I feel like for Boudicca to be like, yeah, like why is it so weird that I'm a female leader? And then it ended up working to her advantage because then they underestimated her. And I feel like Mary did the same thing where her parents were like, yeah, always question authority. Always be like, well, what do you mean? I can't do this. Like, I feel like that was especially at the end. She was like, fuck you. I'm going to wear my Medal of Honor because I goddamn earned it. Yeah. Just because you don't want to pay me pension. Fine. Take away my pension. I don't want the pension. I want the medal. Yeah. I just feel like they would have been like best friends if they existed together. They would have loved it. And And especially their records. I wrote down their records because I feel like Boudicca... She didn't have records because she was part of like a a culture that didn't keep records. But Mary's culture specifically did not record her records on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely true. Well, because (laughs) if you're in a society, I feel like also it's a weird thing. I don't even know if this is right or true or whatever. But like I'm thinking about like if they're in a society where like they don't like the Celts, I feel like didn't need to like exclude any specific person. So they didn't need to keep records because there was no like, Oh, by the way, just so you know, for like next year, uh, women can't do this because of the record. Mm. So then there's no paper trail of certain people can't do this because the paper trail says so. And I feel like that was the exact thing that fucked Mary over was that like, Oh, there's a paper trail that says you can't do this. So we're going to turn you down at every single possible avenue. And also the idea of in this whole paper trail thing, the enemy. Yeah. So like Boudicca's enemy underestimated her and they just like didn't take her seriously. But I think the South took Mary very seriously. They capture her. They take her to this prison and they trade her for a military officer. And I think the North is so embarrassed of Mary that they were willing to make that trade. Mm -hmm. It's so weird that like it's almost like in that instance, the South was more progressive. Yeah, in like a weird turn of events. Yeah, like, <laughs> like they were like, oh my God, this woman who knows all of these medical skills is now yeah. here and we have her. Who are you willing to trade for this one woman surgeon? A high-ranking officer? Yeah. I think it also goes to show just like in Boudicca's story how like things are fucking nuts on the battlefield. Like the <laughs> battlefield is a weird microcosm of real life, but like shit's wild. And the rules almost don't apply. don't apply. But I also was thinking about how they were very female, but very different. And they took traditional feminine qualities and turned them into like, well, yeah, these are traditional feminine qualities, quote unquote, whatever. But like, I'm going to make it my own. And Boudicca was like, yeah, I can look at myself in a mirror and I can have beautiful beads and brooches. But I can also be a badass warrior. And Mary was like, I can wear a top hat and I can wear it like a suit jacket and like pants. But I can still be a badass doctor and also still wear a skirt over top of it if I want to. But it's just gonna be a little bit shorter. And like like, the freaking her suits were like tailored to be cinched in at the waist. Yeah. Like she was giving herself an hourglass figure in these weird outfits. And it was so cool. Yeah. And I love that, that she, that Boudicca was buried with these very feminine things because being female is not poison to like leadership. Poison. Poison. Um, (laughs) 
but do you know what I mean? I it's can't not hear a, that word in that segment. No, it's not death sentence. No, to it's not. You can be a woman who cares about your appearance and like cares about whatever and like do quote unquote girly things and still be a warrior, a leader, uh-huh. of, like all these incredible things. And I'm honestly thinking back to our episode last week about Leslie Nope and how Leslie is stronger for her feminine qualities and she's not trying to hide them. I don't think that Boudicca or Mary was trying to hide the fact that they were a woman because as we talked about, there were certain women who were hiding the fact that they were female in order to fight because wars are passionate and it just goes to just goes to show how passionate women felt about certain subjects to be like, I am willing to dress as a man and hide my identity to fight for this cause because I care about it so much and we can take that to another level to say that the celts were willing to use their women and the united states is willing to say no these women have to pretend they're men to even be in the military yeah one more thing (laughs) the give and take away of contracts so the idea that giving the celts this like hey you are part of this you know contract where we have this free reign to like govern near each other and then no it's not there anymore because the we're taking the money back yep it was the same with the medal of honor like we give it to you and now we don't want you to have it anymore because we have to pay you a pension so we're going to take it back yeah well and it's the whole thing of oh well because you're a woman we can do this to you because you automatically in our mind have less respect and less rights right because they only upheld that contract because her husband was a man. And then as soon as she came into power, they were like, great, now we can fault on that contract. Mm. And they did not see her as a real threat. And I feel like the union really fucked up by not seeing Mary as a real asset. And both of those things kind of worked out to their favor where it was like, but it was like, fine, if you don't think I'm a threat, fine, send 200 men here. I'll fucking murder them mm-hmm. i'll tie boobs to their face a b- boobs to their faces <laughs> <laughs> and then i feel like mary was like i don't give a shit if you think i'm good or not i'm gonna treat these guys i'm gonna tell you that that you know person should not lose their leg i'm gonna tell you that you should probably sanitize that thing because it's gonna get gangrene um but like yeah, I don't know. There, there, it's a weird comparison. It's a weird military comparison of accepting women and not accepting women. Yes. In like all these realms of good guy and bad guy. Yes. It was very cool. Good comparison. Very cool. I did not think that we were going to be I, like, I didn't know anything about your person. Yeah. So I didn't think we were going to be comparing two different wars. Right. That were at such different times for different reasons. And I'm a person that was never really interested in military history when I was a kid. Mm. So it's really cool to get into it because again, it's not something that is traditionally seen as women's history is like, no, they were on the fucking battleground, which I think it's really cool to talk about two women who were heavily involved. They were on the front lines in famous, famous battles. So I just think it's really cool to bring women to the forefront of this history that we frequently exclude them from well it's because we're so cool we're so cool we're so good at what we do (laughs) i don't know why everybody doesn't love us who knows (laughs) you ready to toast i'm ready to toast okay 
Allie, who would you like to toast this evening? So I'm going to toast to those of us who make the rules. Mm. You see gaps and you fill them in and you have to make up the steps as you go. And it is fascinating to watch and it's often scorned by the public. And, um, you know, it makes a real difference. Yeah. So go you and cheers. Cheers. To making the rules. Who do you got? I am going to toast to the women who are still brave and amazing, even if they lose. Because Boudicca did lose her big battle. But that's also okay because I feel like we've been having this conversation about the Civil War monuments and like, why are we honoring these losers? And it's like, well, because they were fighting for a terrible cause. You know, Boudicca still lost her big battle, but she won a lot of other ones. And but she was fighting for her people. And I feel like it's a totally different conversation because the Confederate statues stand for like such an evil of like people try and brush on the rug. They're like, no, they're fighting for states' rights. I'm like, yeah, but states' rights to have slaves. So I just want to toast Boudicca because I still feel like she was on the right side of history, even though she lost. And I think she still deserves to be memorialized and remembered um, because there are some people who are on the right side and they still lose. Yeah, absolutely. So, cheers, cheers to the losers. <laughs> oh, are you ready to promo? I'm the ready. What are you enjoying in pop culture this week? All right. So I had to do it. Producer and I watched the Jeffrey Epstein documentary <gasps> that's on Netflix. It's about five episodes. It was so good. The and girl that was involved with him was just arrested today. today. I know. And this is why I'm going to encourage people to watch it, because if you don't know why she was arrested, you really need to see it. Yeah. Um, it's only about five episodes. It's very hard to watch, but there's a very important reason that I think everybody should watch it. There are many women who were ready to go to court and look him in the eye and tell him what they did. And then he either committed suicide or was murdered um, in a suspicious, some sort of murder in prison. So that's the thing. I think he was fucking allowed to commit suicide. Right. Either way, whatever. He's dead and yeah. they didn't get to say their piece. Yep. This documentary. Because he's a fucking coward. He's right, a coward. He is a coward. But this documentary for some of these women is their piece. They okay. get to say their piece and mm. just. It was, you know, as a victim of sexual assault, it was very hard to watch yeah. and to like stomach and to like be like, oh, my God, I don't want to watch any more of this. But then being like, you know what? It's not just this girl. It's 40 girls. It's 50 girls. It's 100 girls. And it involved famous people and presidents and former presidents and like so many people who it's like why are these men still in charge of our society and then why are their wives and girlfriends helping with it like it yeah. is a it's an incredible documentary series get yourself in the right mindset maybe yeah. don't drink during it yeah. <laughs> so that you can like stay in the mindset but it was if you're not watching it for those men, watch it so you, you can hear those girls because that's the voices that matter. Yeah. And they got to say their piece and they deserve to say their piece on Netflix. <laughs> I love it. It was so good. It was so good. Mm. So Great. destroy your night one night and I do will. that. I will. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have to throw out? So we've been talking a lot about the musical Hamilton recently oh, and it's so great. It um, 
But there's another musical that is around called Hades Town. Have you heard of this? I haven't. Okay. So Hades Town is a musical that is based on Greek mythology, and it love kind it of follow- I know it <laughs> follows the story, the two love stories of um, Orpheus and Eurydice, and Hades and Persephone. Persephone. And but it's all set in kind of like a post-apocalyptic world. And there's this one woman who wrote all the music for this musical. And it's very like folksy and it's very cool. And they're all kind of like it's kind of set in like a post-apocalyptic world. So that's like the underground is like a coal mine. And it's very cool. But what I really want to promote is the music of this musical is very, very good. They did a tiny desk concert where they sing a couple of the songs and the, the, the person, the woman who wrote all the music is with them and she's like eight months pregnant and she's playing a guitar and she's singing and she's like with the Broadway actors and she kind of tells a little bit of the, of the story behind like why I wrote this song and like what the story is saying and what's the original Greek mythology story and how do we change it and it's so cool, and all the people in it are so good. Even Noblezada plays Eurydice, and she has the most amazing voice. She's incredible, and I would just highly recommend if you're you haven't seen anything about it yet, just going to this, and then you'll get into a YouTube hole of all the other times they've like been on like the Today Show or like other places singing the songs in the musical. I love a good musical. It's so good. Ugh. And Perfect. I just love it. And I think everyone in it is so talented. Um, and Andre DeShields plays, um, oh my gosh, the messenger. He, uh, Hermes. Hermes. He plays Hermes. And he was born in Baltimore. Oh! And went to like fucking city. All the good people were born in Baltimore. Everybody great was born in Baltimore. Didn't you know? Didn't you know? So it's just really, really great. And, or New um, York or I Paris would... or London or France or Rome. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, I would highly recommend if you don't know anything about this musical, just kind of like using that tiny desk concert as like an intro into it. And then you can kind of explore a little bit more. Perfect. It's great. So that's my recommendation. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you. We appreciate you. We appreciate you, you your comments, uh, your love, your reviews on all of our social medias. It's so wonderful. We're doing our best. I mean, we even got a request for an episode in between recording the two halves of this episode. Yeah. We cannot wait to explore all the amazing women that you want us to cover because oh, yeah. we will get to them. Season seven, we're just going to uh, have to do all requests. It's going to be great. And we love you. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Please stay safe. And we love you. And drink more. Drink more. <laughs> or less. Whatever or less. you need. Whatever you need. It's all about moderation. <laughs> and never forget that well-behaved women have a favorite apple pie recipe. <laughs> and they really make history. Bye. Goodbye.
You've been listening to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.